Why do researchers decide to publish in questionable journals a review of their literature? An article by Tove Frandensen from University of Southern Denmark called in Denmark Learned Publishing 2019 Abstract Peer review is a cornerstone of scientific publication and consequently predatory journals are feared to be a threat to the credibility of science as they perform no or low quality peer review. The question of why researchers decide to publish is a questionable journal remains relatively unexplored. This paper provides an overview of the existing literature on why researchers decide to publish papers in questionable journals, specifically whether or not they search for a low barrier way to getting published, while being aware that the chosen journal probably does not adhere to acceptable academic standards. The choice of a publication outlet can be seen as a submission tree that consists of various incentives, and explaining why authors publish in deceptive journals may thus consist of a combination of awareness and motivational factors. Awareness and motivation of diligent authors is very different from that of unethical authors. Unethical authors may use a lack of awareness to execute their actions, but they may actively search for a low-barrier way to getting published. As the different types of authors who publish in deceptive journals, we need different approaches to solve the problem. Introduction Predatory journals actively request papers and collect article processing changes from authors who publish with them but do not provide proper peer review or editorial services. They merely mimic these scholarly ambitions of legitimate open access journals to serve their own economic interest, rather than promoting science. The past few years has seen a growth in predatory publishing, but opinions on the effects of the phenomenon are divided. Many agree, however, that publishing in predatory journals is a waste of resources, including waste research and funding. Roberts, for example, characterizes the journals as parasitic and argues that, by publishing in a predatory journal, researchers immediately render their work unusable, illegitimate and stigmatized. There has been much discussion about the term predatory journal or publisher, and lately some have started to question the validity of the term. The term predatory implies a one-way relationship between journals and researchers, but some researchers may willingly use these journals to lengthen the publication list rather than falling prey to them. Colata questions the use of the term predator to describe these journals, as at least some of the authors cannot be characterized as prey, while Roberts characterized the relationship between disparate or insincere researchers and predatory journals as a symbiosis built on deceit and greed. Studies have indicated that many of these questionable journals are based in India or Nigeria and primarily used by authors from developing countries. However, as recently argued by David Moha and Nature, the problem is not just confined to developing countries. A study by Moher and colleagues at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute and the University of Ottawa in Canada 
found the substantial number of articles published in biomedical journals deemed likely to be predatory was published by authors from high and upper middle income countries, with some even affiliated with high ranked universities. These results are supported by recent analyses of German scientists made by journalists. The question of why researchers decide to publish in questionable journal remains relatively unexplored. Only few scientific studies have been conducted to ascertain the motivations of the authors for publishing in these journals, as noted by David Moher in a recent interview. Banerjee argues that those who choose to publish in deceptive journals may gather an impressive number of articles published in so-called scholarly journals during a very short time period. While such articles may not have been through a qualified peer review process, this can be difficult to determine for the untrained eye. In some countries, publishing in deceptive journals can therefore lead to academic or administrative positions achieved without the proper merits. That is, a so-called zombie professorship. Piney presents the result of a case study of the benefits of publishing in deceptive journals. The study finds that publication in a deceptive journal has a negative but significant effect on faculty salary. However, the number of journal publications has a strong positive significant effect on salary. These results suggest that the quantity of publications is more important than the quality, and the author concludes that, in this case, there are few incentives to prevent publication in deceptive journals. This paper aims to provide an overview of the existing literature on why researchers decide to publish papers in questionable journals, specifically whether or not they search for a low-barrier way to getting published while being aware that the chosen journal probably does not adhere to acceptable academic standards. To provide the relevant context for these, it is important to review the literature on which factors researchers consider to be most important when deciding whether to submit and the literature on awareness of journal quality among researchers. Following that overview, the awareness and motivations of authors in questionable journals will be addressed. Finally, the consequences and action needed are discussed. Deciding on a publication outlet The choice of a publication outlet can be seen as a submission tree. The submission tree model implies that authors aim for the top journals in the first submission and, if the article is rejected, follow the path established and submit to a second or a third journal. Heinz Elman and Nochetti conclude that authors largely have an incentive to submit their work to the best journals first and then subsequently walk their way down and schedule of journals. The exceptions to this simple rule occur when authors are particularly impatient or risk-averse. The submission tree can consist of various incentives depending on a number of factors and is typically tied to perception of journal quality. Oster suggests the following four characteristics of a journal to include prestige index, familiarity index, mean waiting time and acceptance probability. Other frameworks exist but there are great overlaps in the categorization. A more general framework has been suggested by Papermans and Rousseau 
in which the factors that have been found to drive an author's decision to submit to a given journal are organized into three categories author characteristics, journal characteristics, and other research characteristics. The majority of the existing studies are based on surveys with a list of factors that could drive an author's decision to submit to a given journal organized in categories and determined a priori. Open access is, for some authors, a factor when deciding on a journal to submit to, yet the underlying factors are similar to the already mentioned factors such perception of impact and prestige. Open access is not a factor that determines the publishing strategies of researchers in general, although there are differences across, for example, fields and means of funding, indicates that the most important criteria for selecting a journal to publish in are the reputation of the journal, readership, impact factor, speed of publication and reputation of editorial board. Gordon finds that audience is the most important factor, indicating that journals are primarily selected on the basis of what they offer as media of communication and stresses the importance of discipline-specific differences. Prestige readership and topic frequency are the most important criteria in the study by Frank. Sorority and Winter do not include audience or readership and thus other factors are found to be more important than is impact factor, overall reputation and fast track. Finally, Widjevi Krima and Petras find statistically significant differences across fields, although they also find factors in common. Summing up, the existing literature on how authors decide on a publication outlet includes author characteristics, journal characteristics and other research characteristics as factors. Although some studies are comprehensive, such as Papersman's and Rousseau's, the majority is limited by geography, discipline or type of respondents. The above-mentioned studies do include, for example, rejection risk as a factor among many others, but researchers may be under considerable pressure to publish and therefore the issue of simply getting a paper published may disrupt the criteria for judging a journal. The pressure to publish and the existence of predatory journals are believed to be rated. Selecting a questionable publication outlet. Few studies exist on the awareness and motivation of authors who publish their work in questionable journals, and it is difficult to ask the authors of such publications as they will probably claim unawareness or defend the journal regardless. In a recent case of 5,000 German researchers found to be authors of articles in questionable journals, not one has come forward to admit to being aware that the chosen journal probably did not adhere to acceptable academic standards. In other cases, authors of articles in deceptive journals are found to be the greatest defenders of the journals. Ericsson and Helgensen highlight three explanations for publishing a deceptive journal, although these are not empirically tested. Dissatisfaction with traditional academic journals, lack of awareness of deceptive journals, and intention to use low-barrier ways to publish. Empirical approaches to the question include a study by Kurt that identifies four themes on the basis of a survey study using a grounded theory and qualitative methods approach for data collection and analysis, social identity threat, 
unawareness, high pressure, lack of research proficiency. Social identity threat is the fear of being viewed as inferior to others because of belonging to a particular group, which is the case for some researchers from developing countries or researchers with poor English abilities. Not being aware that the journal was predatory was another factor that leads to different levels of concerns, some might have been published in them again. Publishing may be tied to a position leading to high pressure to publish. Finally, lack of research proficiency makes publishing in high-quality standard journals unlikely, and researchers need training as well as assistance to meet the quality criteria within their field. The study by Kurt does not seem to suggest that authors have the intention to use low-barrier ways to publish knowing that the chosen journal does not adhere to acceptable academic standards. However, the methods used in this survey may have bearing on the results. The empirical work by Kurt is based on a survey dealing with a number of sensitive questions. Asking sensitive questions affects response rates, item not response rate and response accuracy, which are three important survey outcomes. There are methods to decrease the negative effect on survey outcomes, and they seek to reduce the respondent's sense of the presence of another person or affect the respondent's motivation to tell the truth, or both. In a review of scientific misconduct, the authors find the three important methodological factors, whether the survey asked about self or not, whether it was mailed or handled out to respondent, and whether it explicitly used the words fabrication and falsification. The survey outcomes in the study by Kurt are likely to be negatively affected by the fact that the survey was mailed, addresses itself and uses the word predatory. Furthermore, a strong pressure to publish is mentioned in the survey as an explanation for choosing this specific journal and thus an explanation is offered to the respondents. Consequently, although empirically based, Kurt probably only offers a part of the explanation. Shihata and El Glub use surveys and semi-constructed interviews and implement measures to decrease the negative effect on survey outcomes. They find their acceptance likelihood is the main reason for the choice of a deceptive journal. Researchers with publication experience in well-esteemed journals argue that publishing in esteemed journals is difficult and time-consuming. Unlike the deceptive journals, they rarely require corrections and publish timely. Based on a third interviews with Nigerian researchers Omoboale, Akanle, Adeniran and Adegboyega find four explanations for authors choosing a deceptive publication outlet. Colleagues using the journals and achieving promotion, achieving rapid promotion, ignorance, inadequate evaluations. Researchers see their colleagues achieve promotion on the basis of deceptive publications outlets and thus becoming zombie professors, which can lead them to follow their path. They may be able to publish in decent journals by using the deceptive journals to fast track their promotion. Third, researchers may be ignorant of the quality of the deceptive journals. Finally, articles in questionable journals are accepted without adequate scrutiny by appointment and promotion committees. Omoboale and others 
concludes that the deceptive journals are increasingly used among scholars in developing countries looking for a quick publication to achieve promotion as these journals satisfy the international publishing rule, which is common in developing countries. Summing up, the explanations for publishing in a deceptive or deceptive journal include lack of awareness and different perspectives or motivation as well. Explaining why authors publish in deceptive journals may thus consist of a combination of awareness and motivation. Questionable research conduct and deceptive journals. In understanding why journals publish in a deceptive journal, we can draw on the literature on questionable research behavior and scientific misconduct. Publishing in a deceptive journal can be considered questionable research conduct. Ideal research behavior can be characterized as responsible conduct of research, whereas research behavior that falls short of responsible conduct can be termed deliberate misconduct and questionable research practices. Grimm's, Bauch and Ionadis models questionable research conduct and provides a subdivide of the broad spectrum of researchers into three distinct classes. In the existing literature addressing deceptive journals, we have so far focused primarily on what Grimm's and others would characterize as diligent researchers. Why do not dishonestly manipulate results and careless researchers what do not falsify results but may be sloppy? They fall prey as they are not aware that the journal they have published in is in fact deceptive. However, we also need to address the third of Cream's classes, which is the unethical researchers, who may occasionally manipulate data or knowingly submit dubious results. They publish low-quality research without a risk of rejection and get a long publication list that may seem scientific to the untrained eye. These classes of authors publish papers that generally are of poorer quality than non-questionable publications. Moher and others find that biomedical articles in questionable journals severely lack descriptions of study methods, results and study registration. Although compliance with guidelines tend to be irregular even in mainstream publications, the sample of articles in predatory journals demonstrate significantly lower adherence. Similar findings are found in questionable nursing journals. We know very little of the disruption of these two author groups, and there is a risk of overestimating the proportion of unethical researchers. Fanelli, Costas and La Riviere argue that there is a disproportionate attention paid to extreme cases of fraud, which often represent spectacular examples that attract the attention of the scientific community and the mass media. On the other hand, conservative estimates are expected when asking researchers sensitive questions. Questionable research conduct, in general, is assumed to be caused by a number of factors, of which the most frequently studied are the following policies, culture, peer control, pressures to publish, early career and gender. Fanelli and others have analysed risk factors for scientific misconduct and find that the widespread belief that pressure to publish is a major driver of misconduct was not entirely supported by the empirical study. Consequently, 
pressure to publish may not necessarily drive researchers to publish in questionable journals. We seem to be dealing with at least two different types of authors who publish in deceptive journals, and thus we need at least two different approaches to the problem. Authors who want to get help should be informed so they can use some of the painful tools available to access scientific journals. Researchers in general and inexperienced researchers in particular should be offered training and assistance to meet the expectations of high-quality journals. The actions by unethical researchers, on the other hand, should be addressed using a completely different set of tools as lack of awareness is not the problem and they have not fallen into the trap. Wallens and Perry find concentrations of publications in specific deceptive journals, suggesting that once an author learned of an easy publication outlet, he she informs like-minded others. The authors may use lack of awareness to execute their actions, but indeed they search for a low-barrier way to getting published, while being aware that the chosen journal probably does not adhere to acceptable academic standards. The alternative for these authors is not well-esteemed journals. Prior to using deceptive journals as publication outlets, they earned promotion based on, for example, self-publishing or publishing using contacts in local journals. However, the international rule provides these researchers with incentives to publish in questionable journals as they, despite the lacking equality control, fulfill the role. Consequently, incentives not to publish in deceptive journals or removal of the current incentives to use these journals are necessary. Several approaches may also be necessary to face the problems of questionable research conduct in general. Based on their results, Fanelli and others recommend the following. Establishing policies and structures to handle allegations of scientific misconduct, promoting transparency and mutual criticism between colleagues, and bolstering training and mentoring of young researchers might best protect the integrity of future science. The problem of predatory journals may also need to be addressed by training and mentoring of young and inexperienced researchers in particular, as well as by implementing policies and structures to prevent publishing questionable journals, which can be an easy publication outlet that can provide unethical researchers with a shortcut to promotion. If the quality of publications is clearly valued over the quantity it would provide the researchers with few incentives to publish in deceptive journals. Under such regime, unethical authors would not be able to fast-track a promotion using a large quantity of low-quality publications. Thank you for listening to this article. Please follow me on Twitter, PubReading, for more publications.